Chapter 17 of Conciliatory or Irenical Animadversions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius. Translated by Thomas Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In what manner and order the preaching of the law should accompany that of the gospel? Finally, it is required in what manner and order the preaching of the law should accompany that of the gospel. To the determination of which question we must first know what is understood by the law and what by the gospel. The law here signifies that part of the divine word which consists in precepts and prohibitions, with the promise of conferring a reward upon them who obey and a threatening of punishment to the disobedient. The gospel signifies the doctrine of grace and of the fullest salvation in Christ Jesus, to be received of elect sinners by faith. Therefore every prescription of virtues and duties, all exhortations and dissuasions, all reproofs and threatenings, also all the promises of a reward in recompense of perfect obedience, belong to the law. But to the gospel appertains whatever can give a sinner the hope of salvation, namely the doctrine concerning the person, offices, states, and benefits of Jesus Christ, and all the promises wherein is included the pardon of sins, and the annexed possession of grace and glory, to be obtained by faith in him. This is the strictest notion of both words, to which we must attend, in the whole of this disputation. Otherwise it is known to all who are acquainted with theology that the law is sometimes used in such an extensive signification that it contains the whole system of the doctrine of salvation, the better part of which is the gospel, Isaiah 2.3.52.4, and that also the gospel sometimes signifies all that doctrine which Christ and the apostles delivered, in which are comprehended both commandments and prohibitions and upbraidings and threatenings, Mark 16.15, compared with Matthew 28.20, Romans 2.16. And the law in that strictest signification may be considered two ways, either as in itself or as subservient to some covenant. The law in itself is the most absolute rule of all duty to be performed by man in whatsoever state, so that the goodness or malignity of all rational actions without exception is to be examined by it. But it obtains another relation when it is subservient to some divine covenant, it served the covenant of works of old, and still it serves the covenant of grace. In the covenant of works it was prescribed as the condition which, being perfectly performed, would give a right to the reward. The covenant of grace may be considered either as it was made between Jehovah and the man, whose name is the branch, or as it is made by God with elect sinners and believers. In the former consideration it is certainly of grace, almost exceeding belief, that God, should not only admit of a surety, but should also himself give him unto us, but yet it behoved the surety to satisfy according to the rigour of the law, which was greater in relation to him than in the first covenant between God and Adam. For by it Adam was bound either to obedience perfect in all respects, or to punishment. But our surety was bound to both at once. Perpetual life was promised to Adam, provided he would obey." but the reward of his work was not promised to our surety, except he should at once both perform the most perfect obedience to the law, and likewise endure the punishment due to sin. And therefore the law, in all its rigour, both as to its preceptive part and as to its penal sanction, is the condition of that covenant which took place between God and the surety. 
but if the covenant of grace be considered as made between god and the elect i do not think that it should be said that the law as sincerely performed by us is also the condition of this covenant for it has been abundantly shown above that they are egregiously mistaken who contend that sincere obedience performed to the command of christ which may come under the name of faith has succeeded in place of perfect obedience which was demanded in the first covenant yet the law is in many respects related to the covenant of grace first inasmuch as by the cooperation of the spirit of grace it divests a man of all confidence in his own virtue and righteousness and by the knowledge of his misery constrains him to be humble and so leads him to christ exhibited in the gospel romans ten five galatians three twenty four secondly inasmuch as it enters into the promises of the covenant among which that is not the least which respects the writing of the law in the hearts of the elect jeremiah thirty one thirty three thirdly inasmuch as it is a draught of true virtue as delineation of inward and outward goodness and an example of that holiness which god approves and which we ought to follow fourthly inasmuch as sincere obedience to it conduces very much to the glory of god and to the edification of our neighbour and to procure many advantages to ourselves for sincere obedience to the divine law is a proof and an evidence of unfeigned faith of christ dwelling in us by his spirit of regeneration and renovation according to the image of god and of our adoption to the glorious inheritance besides it brings us peace of conscience consolation against the reproaches of enemies friendly and familiar communion with god and the boldness of faith and hope at the very point of death so that in fine it is not only useful to obtain the possession of salvation but also so necessary that without it no man shall see god which things have been lately demonstrated more at large and all these the law does not from its own authority which can admit of nothing unless perfectly pure and condemns whatever is polluted with the least stain but from the authority of christ's grace to which it is now subservient and by whose command it declares that the works performed by the sanctifying grace of the spirit though imperfect are sincere and so far approves of them as agreeable to it these are the relations of the law inasmuch as it is subservient to the covenant of grace and hence methinks that much tossed question may be easily decided whether the covenant of grace or the gospel has also a law peculiar to itself indeed if by the gospel we understand the whole body of that doctrine which was preached by christ and the apostles there is no doubt but that whatever belongs to any duty is not only repeated but also more clearly delivered in the gospel and with stronger exhortations than was ever done by moses and the prophets and so far that part of evangelic doctrine may be called the command of christ the law of christ and the perfect law of liberty for why may we not boldly say what the spirit of god has said before us certainly it wants not its own weight what paul said of the new testament epikritosin epangelies nenomothetete it was brought into the form of a law by better promises hebrews eight six for even the doctrine of faith is sometimes inculcated under the form of a command mark one fourteen and fifteen acts sixteen thirty one but if we take the word gospel in a strict sense as it is the form of the testament of grace which consists of mere promises or the absolute exhibition of salvation in christ then it properly prescribes nothing as duty it requires nothing it commands nothing no not so much as to believe trust hope in the lord and the like but it relates declares and signifies to us what god in christ promises what he willeth and is about to do 
every prescription of duty belongs to the law as the venerable voetius after others hath inculcated to excellent purpose disputation tom four page twenty four etc and this we must firmly maintain if with all the reformed we would constantly defend the perfection of the law as containing in it all virtues and all the duties of holiness yet the law as adapted to the covenant of grace and according to it written in the hearts of the elect commands them to embrace with an unfeigned faith all things proposed to them in the gospel and to order their lives agreeably to that grace and glory and therefore when god in the covenant of grace promises to an elect sinner faith repentance and consequently eternal life then the law whose obligation can never be dissolved and which extends itself to every duty obliges the man to assent to that truth highly to esteem the good things promised earnestly to desire seek and embrace them further since the wonderful providence of god has ranged the promises in that order that faith and repentance shall precede and salvation follow man is bound by the same law to approve of and to love his divine disposal nor may he promise himself salvation but in a way agreeable to it and accepting the promises of the covenant in that order in which they are proposed he obliges himself by that acceptance to apply to the duties contained in the preceding promises before he can hope to obtain the enjoyment of the latter and in this respect the covenant is mutual god proposes his promises in the gospel in a certain order man by virtue of the law subservient to the covenant of grace is bound to embrace these promises in that order while faith does that the believer obliges himself to study newness of life before he forms hopes of a blessed life and in this manner the compact is between two parties since therefore we now understand how the law is subservient to the covenant of grace and the gospel there is no doubt but these truths ought also to be preached under the evangelical economy of the new testament and that not slightly indeed but in a diligent and serious manner that the soul struck with a deep sense of sin may pant after the grace of christ acknowledge the excellence of that most perfect obedience which he fulfilled for his people properly esteem the benefit of the law written in their mind be inflamed with love to that unspotted purity which is delineated in the law explore the duties of that gratitude which it owes be an honour and a praise to god an example to others and in fine may apply to its own salvation with all becoming diligence meanwhile the gospel must also be preached in all the riches of its grace that the soul may be convinced that its salvation is placed entirely in the grace of god and in the satisfaction of christ that nothing is either done by itself or ever can be done whereby it may procure even the smallest particle of a right to life that christ by his powerful grace prevents sinners and often in that very moment wherein they are incredibly mad in their wickedness with an outstretched hand apprehends them as his own property and without any previous laudable disposition by the first communication of his spirit unites them to himself in order to a new life a life which he undertakes to cherish excite preserve and prolong to a blessed eternity and though it is not possible that he who is quickened by christ should not live to christ yet there is nothing in which even he who lives most circumspectly can glory nothing of which he can boast or which he can show to god or in fine which he ought not to renounce as far as it is of himself and as far as it is of the spirit of god impute it entirely to divine grace for these things are both so great and truths of such importance that they cannot be sufficiently inculcated and thus both law and gospel should be preached in the highest point of perfection under the evangelical economy so that by the gospel nothing may be detracted from the obligation of the law 
in as far as it enjoins holiness becoming God, nor by the law anything in the least derogated from the superabundant grace of the gospel. But in what order is this preaching to be conducted? To me the question seems almost superfluous and unprofitable, since the preaching of both should always be conjoined. For who will approve of such an imprudent judge of matters, who resolves by the continual proclamation of the law for some months to soften souls and to prepare them for Christ, and in the meantime makes no mention of Christ? Or who, for a remarkable space of time, soothes the ears with the allurements of the gospel only, and does not at the same time inculcate that we must live as becometh the gospel? in vain do you strike the mind with the terror of the law yea you will not even do this unless you also point out jesus to whom we must flee for refuge neither does ever the saving grace of god shine upon men but it immediately teaches them that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts they should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world with one breath christ proclaimed repent and believe the gospel and said peter repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and in that first discourse with many other words did he testify and exhort his hearers saying save yourselves from this untoward generation acts two thirty eight and forty everywhere as often as the apostles went to minister the word they both preached jesus with the resurrection of the dead and commanded men to repent because god hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath appointed acts seventeen eighteen thirty and thirty one and paul did not deal privately with felix without reasoning concerning faith in christ and also at the same time concerning righteousness and chastity and judgment to come acts twenty four twenty four and twenty five likewise when he makes mention of its entrance among the thessalonians he says ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father his children that ye would walk worthy of god who hath called you to his kingdom and glory one thessalonians two eleven and twelve the declaration of faith and the exciting to the study of holiness ought to be always so conjoined that the one never be torn from the other nor are we bound by any rule always to premise to other things either these which belong to the law or these which belong to the gospel the order of a discourse is arbitrary and to be prudently varied according to the variety of subjects and persons i do not conceal however that in my judgment the beginning of the new life is not from the preaching of the law but of the gospel the gospel is the seed of our regeneration and the law of the spirit of life which makes us free from the law of sin and death doubtless while christ is preached and life through him his spirit falls upon the souls of the elect and infuses into them a principle of spiritual life because of his own will begat he us by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first-fruits of his creatures james one eighteen paul of old asked the galatians chapter three verse two this only would i learn of you received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith but when that life infused by the spirit through means of the gospel begins to exert itself if i am not deceived it generally proceeds in the following order that the soul awakened as from a deep sleep or faint or rather death views itself polluted with sin guilty of many crimes abominable unto god most miserable in every respect and altogether unable to deliver itself and therefore seized with pungent grief and despairing of itself it pants after salvation about to come to it from another quarter to which purpose the ministry of the law is useful anon it sees christ held forth in the gospel and discovering that in him there is a fullness of salvation and an abundance of grace it immediately betakes itself to him altogether empty of itself that it may be filled by him destroyed in and of itself
that it may be saved by him. It is not possible that, apprehending Christ and being apprehended by him, it should not, through his inestimable goodness, be inflamed with love to him, and be willing to devote itself wholly to his service, to whom it professes to owe its salvation, nor is it possible that it should not acknowledge him for a Lord, whom it hath found by experience to be a Saviour. And thus again the gospel brings us back to the law as a rule of gratitude. Hence it is evident how law and gospel mutually assist one another in promoting the salvation of the elect, and how sometimes the former, sometimes the latter, takes the lead. End of chapter 17